Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would teach us more of your ways, that you would help us to know more of your rhythms of grace, that you would help us to know, receive, and share more of your love in the world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Thanks. Well, welcome. It is so great to see you guys. It's been... I've, I've really missed you. For those of you who are new and are like, what is all this about? I've, I've helped with this ministry for about seven years, and I've just coming back from an unpaid leave of absence. I had lots going on in life, and um, so by way of updates of kind of how heavy it had gotten, I had a dad that was on hospice, and he is he has happily gone on. It's very peaceful. I had a place that had flooded twice, and it's finally, after 14 months, back together and all done. I'm still dealing with insurance and the previous owner and stuff like that. I had uh, seniors in high school that have now graduated, going to college, like in the next two weeks, got one going to A&M, one going to OU. So got lots of things going on with that. And then... Um, some things going on with my uh, other job that I do, my day job that, 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 that takes care of me. So lots was going on, and I checked out for six months to a year, and I'm back after just seven. So, but I'm easing my way back into it is how we're doing this. So anyway, that's the quick update. Enough on that. I want to turn and, and head into what we're doing today with uh, the Feast of the Transfiguration. And I know that uh, some of you guys have heard this because I know I've said it in here before, but some of you hadn't. So I want to start with this. If you, if you know that one about how many Episcopalians it takes to change a light bulb. I want to focus on some of the different players on this today because, you know, the, the answer is that it takes four. It takes uh, one to change the bulb, two to mix the drinks, but the fourth one is the one to complain about the change. And I want to focus on in that a little bit today, talking about change. And I want to do it in the context of this feast day that we're doing with the Transfiguration. So let me say a little bit about the feast day, and then we'll turn and uh, kind of talk a little about where I want to go with this with change. But we talk about this feast day. It is an important feast day. I mean, it's important enough that you'll see that churches are named for this feast day, like the third, I think it's the third biggest Episcopal church in Dallas is, we call it the fig, but it's Transfiguration. Um, it's important enough that we have a day in our calendar that's set aside to remember what's taking place on this day in the life of, of the church and the calendar. Um, and in terms of history, it's an old, it's an old um, celebration in the church. The, they don't know exactly, exactly when it came about, but by the year 1000, the Eastern Church, the Orthodox Church, has it well established and spread everywhere by the year 1000. And then the Western Church, a little bit later, it's not till Pope Callistus III in 1457 that finally adopts it. And it's one of these weird deals where they, they would make weird dates for these different things because it's like the day the news of something reached the Pope was like, well, let's make a new feast. And so it became August 6th because that's the day the news got to him and that's where it gets set. But I think it's kind of weird that we celebrate it right now because this is like one of those Anglican things because there's a whole bunch of the church, particularly the Protestant side of the church, that would celebrate this back in January, like in part of Epif in the season of Epiphany. And then the more Catholic side celebrates it on August the 6th. And you would think, the Anglicans, that we would probably average those and do it in April or something. <laughs> but we decided on this one we would do both. So you literally will hear the Transfiguration usually sometime in January, and then you'll hear it back when we're around August the 6th as well. But it's this important 
thing. So as we as we go to the mountain then to start thinking about what's taking place and what we can learn maybe about change from that day, um, we have to start by looking and thinking about there is a lot, a lot of change that is starting that's going to go on with both Jesus and his followers. And I think it's interesting to pause and think about it for Jesus for a minute because it brings us real quickly to one of these profound mysteries that we hold within Christianity of this thing called the hypostatic union, which is how we believe that Jesus is fully divine but also fully human. And without trying to get into the mind-boggling mystery of that, but it has certain consequences that we can kind of tease out today that I think are important to think about on this day. The first of which is that Jesus, in his divinity, he knows what's coming. He knows all the change that's about to take place. In fact, if we go look at the passage that Mary read a minute ago from from Luke 9, right before it, Jesus has just told the followers, yeah, I'm going to have to die. This stuff's going to happen. He's one of those times where he's telling them the stuff that's going to happen. He knows. He knows what's going to happen. And you stop and think about, I mean, like, so well, the, the rest of Luke, you know, this, the rest of the, the book, well, like the next nine chapters, he's on the way to Jerusalem. He's going to teach on the way to Jerusalem. He's going to get there. There's going to be three chapters in and around Jerusalem, and then the rest is going to be about the resurrection and what takes place after that. But he knows. He knows what's coming. He knows when he enters Jerusalem, it's going to be with great fanfare. They're going to be welcoming like the Messiah. He knows in advance that they're going to turn on him that they're going to reject him, that he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be brutally assaulted, that he's going to die. He knows the resurrection. He knows he's going to spend time after that with his followers. He knows the ascension. And he knows the Holy Spirit, is going to, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to empower the church and the church is going to start and how that's going to go. He knows all that's coming. Think about all the change that's on his windshield and he knows that's coming. Now his followers, they got a lot of change coming as well, but they don't know it. They're going to go from being these 12 folks that are their students traveling with their teacher to suddenly they're going to be in a crowd where everybody's welcoming him as the Messiah. They're going to go from thinking, some, at least some of them, that he's the powerful Messiah who's going to step up to being one that's crushed. Um, that's going to happen. They don't know that. That's going to happen. They're going to scatter like... Um, they're going to scatter just whenever things get rough, they're going to scatter and run. I, st- I was going to do it. Well, it's like, when, it's like being in a shady place and you turn on the light and the roaches run. That's, what, that's, what, that's the image. Please don't hold that one from the thought today from Dave's sermon. But then they're going to encounter, on the other side of his death, they're going to encounter Jesus alive and the change that's going to put them through. They're going to live in this radical community where they're going to share everything And then they're going to receive the Holy Spirit and they're going to start the work of spreading the gospel in profound ways. They've got a lot of change headed their way too. And it's interesting to think about them. So Jesus knows it's coming. They don't know it's coming. But in my mind, this is part of a moment of getting ready for change. And we might dwell and think about that for a moment. From Jesus' perspective, he's headed towards Jerusalem now, knows what's coming. We get in the gospel lesson that it says that Moses and Elijah are speaking with Jesus to get him ready for his departure. Like, get him ready for what's going to happen, for the end, for all the stuff that's going to go on. And we don't know, like, so, and, and these are, like, these amazing representatives, right? Because you've got Moses, who's symbolic of the law, 
and you've got Elijah, symbolic of the prophets. You've got all, these, all of this coming and going on in meeting with Jesus. We don't know exactly what they said. I'm going to do some conjecture on that in a minute. But they're there to strengthen him and to encourage him and get him ready for what's coming, for this change. And we see other things happening. Of course, he changes. He begins to glow and have this glorification taking place. And then we have God the Father speak into this moment saying, this is my chosen, now listen up. So there's all this activity, interaction, encouragement, stuff that's happening, ultimately to get Jesus ready for the road that, that's ahead, to get ready for the change that he's gonna experience that he knows is gonna happen. And all of that to me is about the other side of the hypostatic union because in his humanity, we know he's gonna face anxious moments. We get that in the scripture, that he's gonna ask if that cup can pass. He's gonna have, he's gonna, um, have like sweat that's gonna be like blood. So this is a moment, I think, where they're speaking to him about his departure, it, to me, is about encouraging him and preparing him for all that change that's coming. Now, his followers are different because they don't know that it's coming. They're having this amazing day they're like, think about these, um, these guys, this inner circle of Peter, James, and John. They have been raised since they were little hearing the stories about Moses. Every time they'd get together and they're reading about it, or Elijah, and hearing the stories and knowing how he left and all the different things, and then there they are. And in this moment, they're not able to take in any kind of bigger picture. They're just like having celebrity awe. And their answer is the opposite of embracing change they're like let's not change anything let's lock this moment down let's capture this moment let's set up tents let's live right in this moment and then they get this reprimand that's what it looks like to me from on high saying hey this is my son my chosen listen to him and you know, it's a whole other sermon for another day about how we take constructive criticism. But they, they have this moment where they get that and then they're gonna have to zip it and, and live with what, whatever's going on with that. So I wanna circle back in just a second to maybe have us ponder and think about what did Moses and Elijah say? We'll come back to that in a minute. But first, where are we with change? How open are we to this whole idea of change that we face again and again in life? I, I've heard this story about, you know, people in church don't like change, but I've heard the story about the rector who decided, he was a wise rector, had been, been a rector for a long time, who wanted to move the piano from one side of the room to the other side of the room. And he was so nervous about it, and, but in his wisdom, he came up with this action plan was he decided he would move it two inches every Sunday. So two years later, he finally got it over to the other side. And maybe just one person noticed. We hate change. We're, we're, you know, it's, that's just, I think, how we're wired. You know, it, again, it's been said that the, the only person that likes change is a wet baby. We're wired to just hold on. We're wired to, to keep things the way it is. And I think maybe it's worse in the church in some ways. Because either... We like the way things have been structured, or I think what happens a lot is people, it's not a science, and they don't know what to do with it not being a science. So they're like, all I know is if we put this candle here and light it and walk around the table twice, God shows up, so don't change it. <laughs> and we get real weird about change. 
But the truth is, change is how we grow. Change is part of how God uses us and moves us. And it's part of our spiritual life and our journey. Paul will say later, you know, in 2 Corinthians 5, he's going to say, in Christ, you're a new creature. You're, you're brand new. You're a new creation. It's, it involves change in itself that way. Are all the pages in Scripture where God will talk about, I'm doing a new thing. I, I got this new thing that's taking place. It's, it seems to me that we need change as part of our growth and as part, as part of God working out his kingdom for making places better and helping people experience God's love. It all involves change. So what did Elijah and Moses say to Jesus that day to get him ready for change, to get him ready for his departure? We don't know. We don't know, but I think it's fun to ponder it. What might he have said? This week, I, was, I read an article by one of my good friends who is a change management expert who does this with corporations and different, different kinds of projects. And I read this article, and in this article, she talked about the five big things that are involved, the big, five big ingredients of successful change for organizations and for different things and people. And I thought, well... I wonder how that would work out if I can just think about those and whether Moses and Elijah might have used something like this. So just think about this for a moment. We don't know what they said, but it's interesting to ponder it. The first of which was to go back to when, some, when somebody's about to go through change to think about the vision, particularly an organization. And I actually do imagine that Elijah and Moses are talking to Jesus saying, remember the, the plan? Remember how this is all working out? What's gonna happen? How... God's glorified, how people are going to experience God's profound love reaching out to them through your death and resurrection. The big step back and the big view of the whole picture of what's taking place. And I think for us, when we're going through change, the same, step back and see the, the vision of where things are going, what the picture is. The second thing on the list was the action plan. And I know that Jesus already knows what's gonna happen. We've talked about that. But I imagine it's well possible that Moses and Elijah are walking through that with him again. Okay, yeah, here's what's gonna happen in Jerusalem. Yes, you're gonna get betrayed. One of your 12 is gonna do it. And they're kind of walking through. Here's the plan. Here's what's gonna happen. But also, God's gonna be with you. Which leads to the third thing on her list, was, which was resources. But it's thinking about, I'm sure they're also saying, look, the angels are gonna to minister to you. Mary is never going to leave you. She's going to be at the foot of the cross the whole time. Like talking about whatever the different re resources are that are involved in change. And we're that way too, because I know when you get into a hard bit of change, sometimes we feel like we're all on our own. But when you stop and look, there's all kinds of people that are helping you or are there to help you or wanting to help you. There are all kinds of resources that are that way. The fourth item on her list was skills. And I can imagine Jesus is, maybe he's not worried about all his stuff for that moment. He's like, these followers, like, is this really going to be, is this really going to be okay? And they're like, well, no, no, they got skills, man. You've been teaching them for three years about the way it's going to unroll. You know, you're, you've been pouring into them for three years. They're going to take what you've given and they're going to be able to go and minister and do the things that they need to do at the birth of the church. Like, their skills being played out here. And the final thing that was on that list was communication. And I do think about that for sure because they're communicating with him to get him ready. And I'm thinking they're saying, look, stay connected. Keep, you got to keep communicating with the Father. We hear Jesus praying all the way to the cross where he's saying, Father, forgive him. He's going to have this dialogue going with his Father the whole time. 
And I think they're, maybe they're leaning into that, saying do that. And they're certainly saying, look, with your followers and your team and the changes they're going to go through, think about all of the important community. They're going to have, like I said, nine chapters of teaching on the way to Jerusalem. But then that night before Jesus is, dies and you get all this incredible teaching about love and service and the washing of the feet and all the stuff that takes place is part of the communication that's going on that's part of the change being rolled out on this thing. And then maybe they're even saying, well, when you're going to get betrayed, go to the garden and just spend time communing with God, the Father, and praying. And that's how this whole thing's gonna get going, and it'll go from there. We, as we think about this this week, and as you ponder this this week and talk about it at lunch, I think you come back and just, th- and just ask to think about those things, but also to think about, um, are we open to change? Are we, are we people that are wanting, we like the way we got life the way it is, or wherever it is, or we're just uncomfortable with what's ahead, and in our own way, we build our little tents and say, let's just keep it right here. We don't need to be moving on or do anything. But, grow, but change is part of growth. Change is part of how God uses us to do new things for his glory and for the betterment and the building of his kingdom. So my encouragement and prayer would be, however you view what t- takes place on the mountain, is to pray about being open to God's spirit and leadership. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us and um, you call each of us by name on a journey to walk with you and to be changed by you and to help change this world. By your grace, with your strength, help us to be open to that. And we ask that you would change us and mold us. In Christ's name, amen.